Welcome to the U.S. Fire Journal Podcast. We offer views and opinions on the fire service around the world with no topic too tough to handle. Visit us at usfirejournal.com for all your fire service information. Now, here's your host, Jay. Good morning. Welcome into the podcast today. It is January the 4th, 2022. It's a Tuesday. And uh, I'm Jay. It's been a minute or two. And uh, it's a new year. Uh, We're starting off the new year much like we left the old year. Uh, Bad weather in some places. Uh, Outbreaks of COVID. Of course, more people are testing positive because more people are being tested Uh, Funny how that happens. Uh, Nonetheless, uh, there's a lot of information going around or a lot of information coming into me about about uh, COVID and and requirements on departments and what's right and what's wrong and all this sort of thing. And I just wanted to distill it down. I'm I'm not going to spend a lot of time on on COVID related questions, uh, in part, because I think uh, there's not much more to say about it. But someone said to me, uh, they sent it in, actually, and they said, hey, um, you know, fire departments requiring us to wear masks and we don't wear a mask, you know, um, what should we do? Uh, what should you do? Put the mask on. That, that's probably the, that's that to me. Um, yeah, that's pretty straightforward. Wear it. You know, um, you want to get into constitutional issues. You want a constitutional lawyer, every single little point. There's certainly a place for that. It's called a court. Um, but there are uh, any number of things that people are against. I don't care what happens. Forget COVID. You name anything. People are going to be against it. Um, people are against uh, all kinds of things each day of the week. But imagine for a second someone said, yeah, you know, I'm not going to wear an air pack anymore. And you go, well, why not? I mean, it's a rule. You have to wear an air pack. Yeah, but I'm not going to do it. Why not? Well, I just think that it, it violates my rights. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. Well, then, you know, I don't know what to tell you other than good luck hunting for a new job. And of course, people come along and say, yeah, but air packs are proven scientifically to save lives, whereas masks, I'm not getting into that. Just not going to get into it because it's an argument that has no solution. There's no end to it. Um, Firefighters typically don't set policy. That's set much higher up. So whatever the policy is, um, whatever uh, the direction is, in the absence of a policy, you know, if a supervisor gives a clear directive, follow the directive. You can always question it and do all these other things later. But these people who, who whine and cry because, hey, you know what, um, they told me I had to do this. Yeah, it's called orders. It's called following them. Um, it happens around the world. It's amazing how that happens. People give orders and other people have to follow them. And if you don't like following them, then go work for yourself somewhere where you're the only one giving orders, where you don't have to follow anybody's direction. At least uh, we all have to follow direction. We might not like it, but we all do it. Um, but, you know, that's the thing, right? Uh, we don't live in a clean world. We live in a messy world. Uh, with messy decisions that don't always make sense to us individually. But the bottom line is, um, given a directive, do it. That's pretty much the easiest way to go about this. 
Um, it all comes back to knowing your job and doing your job. And understanding that as a part of an organization, you're valued. But it's not always your input that's valued. And not always your input on any one specific subject. And some people just can't get that through their heads. And uh, it's unfortunate. Cold weather is gripping, obviously, uh, large parts of the country with snow all over. Um, and it, it brings us to that time of year when I always talk about hydrants. Uh, fire hydrants are uh, the lifeblood of, of, uh, of a fire department's operations on scene. And it's, it's always helpful when you can actually see the fire hydrant and, and be able to hook to it. In some parts of the country, uh, after snowfall, uh, certainly after plows come out, after people start uh, digging out from, uh, from snowfall, you end up with hydrants that, are, uh, that aren't there when you drive by. You can't see them. And oftentimes, if you can't see them, they're not there. That's the way it works. And, uh, you know, you have some departments, they put the large flags on them, the, the, uh, uh, the long little whip-type antenna with a, with a flag on top so you can see it and dig it out. I saw the other day uh, uh, New York FDNY, uh, one of the chauffeurs there, they ended up, uh, they caught a, a fire and hydrant was frozen. He took a road flare and, uh, you know, opened the hydrant up and was able to, to get, get water from the hydrant after thawing it. Uh, smart move, a very quick move, and it's one of those things that you learn by experience. Um, you know, you tell people all the time, it's what I tell firefighters, especially young ones, if you're preparing for the four or five things that you think will always happen, you're not prepared. You're not. It's easy to pump a fire truck. It's easy to raise ladders. It's easy to advance hose lines. When it becomes more difficult is when chaos is introduced into the situation. That's where you make your money. That's where you become a pro is by embracing that chaos and thinking of unique ways to get out of it. And you talk to your blue in the face with some guys. You really do. You tell them, okay, you know what? Yes, it's great that you know the 11 steps to put in the truck and pump and and, and pulling the tank to pump and all this stuff. But what can you do when things go bad? Ultimately, what can you do? It's the same with tactics. It's the same with everything else. You, you know, you do a scenario with people and, and it's a two-story single-family dwelling and they pull up, you know, and what do they want? They want to be able to see which way this wind, the smoke's blowing and all this. And then they get their carefully crafted plans. And then you throw in an oops there. Oh, well, you know what? No water. What do you do now? And they're like, well, I didn't think about that. Really? Well, okay. Now you have to think about it. Introducing complexity into situations increases people's ability to think on the fly. And thinking on the fly is what separates us from most, uh, most gorillas anyway. There are gorillas out there who can think on the fly, but, but that is really what, that's the difference. Can you adapt? Can you look at something and go, this isn't going to work in this particular way. This isn't an IFSTA manual. This isn't a, uh, a fire academy class. This is real life. How do we look at this situation and fix it? You know, sometime take a driver, right? And ask them, say, yeah, all right, I want you to get over to, to Joe's sports market over there. All right, how are you going to go if you get a fire call? Well, I'm going to go this way, this way. There. All right, well, now that road's blocked. Well, what do you mean? How are you going to go now the road's blocked? 
well, when does that happen? It just happened right now. How are you going to get there? Eventually, they'll figure it out, but some will just stop. They're like, I don't know, man. I mean, that, you know, that, I don't think that'll happen. You don't? What about during an earthquake? What about during a massive uh, snowstorm, a blizzard? Roads do get closed, you know. Watch people fall apart when you ask them to do something that doesn't fit within the careful confines of their own little bumper car world. Ask them to get outside of that. Ask them to step outside of it and watch people go, oh, I don't know. I had a guy tell me not too long ago, I said, well, how would you get to this call over here if this road is blocked? He's like, I don't know. He said, I'd have to go outside the city limits to get to it. Then go outside the city limits. If that's the only way to get there, isn't that what you're, you're responsible for doing is to get there? Yes. So again, introducing a little bit of chaos causes people to think. And the great thing about it is it might take a person six, eight, ten months, some people two, three years. But once they realize that, you can't stump them on anything because nothing's impossible to them. That's why teaching people, it's vital, especially if you want to live, it's vital to be able to... Uh, think, adapt, overcome uh, all of these obstacles that are put up in your way. Um, no battle plan survives first contact with the enemy. Um, you know, I, I think back to the French, World War II, uh, the Maginot Line, M-A-G-I-N-O-T, the Maginot Line, and how the Germans were looking at the Maginot Line and saying, that's a pretty impressive uh, uh, wall you've built there. You know what? I think we'll just go around it. And that's what happened. They went around the Maginot Line. To me, that's how a lot of people's thinking goes. They think, okay, there's a fort. There's this wall right in front of me. How can I attack this wall? They will spend literally untold numbers of hours trying to figure out how to bull through the wall when the answer is simply to go around the end or to go up and open a door or to go over it. You know, that is to me... Uh, a huge difference between thinkers and and people who are no more than you know look point me in the right direction and that's what I'll go do um, what you need people you need all kinds of people but man you sure do need people who can look at something and say yeah you know what we took lines into the front of this building it's not working you know what do we do now I know let's take a line in somewhere else Maybe we don't go right in the front door. Maybe we don't go right in the back door. Maybe we take lines up over an arrow and put the fire out on the third floor. Um, you know, it, it, it says a lot that experience matters, and it does. We train, educate, you do all those things. In the end, though, you have to have some experience to be good at something. Um, over the... Over this uh, break, I was uh, watching the Winter Classic, uh, uh, the uh, Minnesota Wild St. Louis Blues, and uh, the hockey game played outdoors at Target Stadium in, in Minneapolis, and really cold out there. And, uh, you know, there was all kinds of talk about how, you know, wow, what do you do in this cold weather? You know, how are you going to attack the teams? You know, how do you attack the, goal, the, the uh, goalies and all this? And I'm sitting there going, you know, I think the best thing to do would be to go out and just play hockey, try to score goals. That's what eventually worked. 
Um, you just go out, you skate, you score goals. You do the same thing in football. Whether it's the Super Bowl or a preseason game, ultimately you want to outscore the opponent, right? Well, it's the same at a fire. Whether the fire's in a in a 500-square-foot hut, pretty big hut, or, or a much larger house, the bottom line is you want to put the fire out. Life safety, incident stabilization, property conservation, LIP. Remember that old one? I'm sure now we'll have uh, somebody's going to come up with LIP with two eyes, uh, but you know, just like they did with VES, as if we didn't isolate before. Anyway, uh, enough of that rant. Um, there's just lots of things you can do. And, and you know, the important thing is, uh, is that ability to think, uh, to uh, not get locked in to one particular mode of thought, um, unless it's just working. You know, I mean, look, if, uh, if something's working, go back to it. Uh, that's what you have to do. Speaking of hydrants, um, and fire hydrants especially here, um, you know, I was, I, I was talking to some guys the other day. They were uh, looking at a, at a fire hydrant, drilling on it actually, and uh, going over the parts of a hydrant. and um, talking about I, I was talking about the stem nut, um, and uh, it's sort of a, it's like a pentagon-shaped nut. And uh, it opens the the uh, the valves uh, for the for the operating nut. Uh, excuse me, the operating stem. And I, I see guys counting off. You know, they're they're counting. Okay, so how many turns until this is open? And I remember talking with a guy. Oh, this maybe ten years ago, maybe a little bit longer than that. And uh, he heard some guys, he overheard some guys uh, talking about the number of turns to open a hydrant. And he said, here's the bottom line. Open the hydrant until it's open. Quit worrying about counting it. Just keep going. We need all the water we can get. Maximizing that water, maximizing, not minimizing, not losing water. I've had guys tell me it's negligible. If we lose some water, it's not that big a deal. Really? I have run that comment by numerous people asking them, hey, do you think it's a big deal? To a person, every one of them said, I don't want to lose a gallon. I don't. Not over the entire uh, time frame of an operation. Granted, the people I ask are experienced people. They're people who've been out there. So knowing the hydrant, knowing, you know, the outlets, uh, knowing what the flange is, knowing you know that it's the attachment point. Is it leaking at the flange? What can you do? Talking about the bonnet, all those things. They might seem, it might seem, yeah, you know, uh, don't know that I need to know all that. The more you know, the quicker you can fix something. It's just a fact. The more you know, the quicker you can fix nothing, uh, fix something. Um, you know, and, and it's like the the chauffeur there in New York. You know, with a road flare. Hydrant's frozen? Okay, yeah, I'll fix it. They're not the only ones. Uh, I was up in uh, northern North Dakota. North Dakota's north enough, but I was in northern North Dakota. And I was talking to a pump operator up there. And I said, you know, I said, what do you do if the hydrant's, uh, if your hydrant's frozen? And he just kind of smiled and he said, well, he said, you know, I don't really have that problem. Um, he said, because, uh, you know, we're, we're tanker dependent. He said, but um, he said, wherever I've gone, uh, he said, you know, I always go on the assumption that every hydrant is frozen. 
He said, and then I just operate from operate backwards from that. So instead of assuming that he's going to get good water, he assumes he's not. That's a valuable lesson. Um, it's a valuable, valuable lesson that if you start off in, in a particular situation, it's winter, you're in some really cold weather. If you start off with the fact that you're not going to be able to get to the call in the normal three or four minutes, it's going to take you six or eight. If you start off with that and then work in, if you get there a little earlier, it's gravy. If you get there and you have water, it's gravy. But if you're operating on the assumption that something can go wrong and likely will, that's introducing chaos again, um, and chaos introduces itself enough, then as you work back from that, you're ready for it. And some people, I love this comment, you can't plan for everything. You're right, you can't. But if you're flexible enough to, to be able to respond to different situations, all kinds of different situations, it gives you that flexibility of mind to be able to respond to things that you've not thought of, that maybe no one's thought of. And it's something that is, uh, it, it creates that pliable mind. It really does. It helps to loosen things up. It's like stretching. If you stretch the body, if you stretch your hamstrings, if you stretch, if you do yoga, um, those types of things, it gets the body ready for it. Then when it's called upon, that muscle memory is there. Again, you can't, you can't, you can't plan for everything. You can plan for enough to where you understand that it gives you that ability to, uh, to be able to react to things that you never thought of. That's going to do it for today. It's an abbreviated version, but we'll be back with a full version uh, tomorrow. Until then, stay safe.